Okay. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Word is made flesh. Dwelt among us. Mm. Thanks be to God. Nice. <laughs> this went off the rails there. But That's good. It's good. I'm going to pray for Tom and get back on. Father, we thank you that Tom is your son mm. and that you delight in him. And my prayer this morning is that the delight you have for him would just come through him. Mm. That's it. Mm. We love you. Mm. We pray this all in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks, bro. Love you too, dude. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. <clears throat> uh, a few weeks ago, my sister-in-law, Jana, did us a great kindness she offered to take our dog for a week, and it was the best news I'd heard in a long time. And so she came over, and we were sitting with her, and we were, like, expressing our gratitude. And, like, Jana, you have no idea. This is, like, perfect timing. She's nodding along, like, oh, man, I'm happy to be of service to you. Like, we, I love you guys. She's nodding along, like, okay, yeah, loving the affirmation, I'm sure. Then we kind of got into, like, some details about feeding her and walking her and what it actually looks like to take care of Ginny. And, she was still kind of nodding along, but less enthusiastically. And then we started to talk about her actually transporting her from here to Hamilton. And her eyes just kind of glazed over, and she stopped nodding completely and was like, what the heck have I gotten myself into? And she was like, what is, what is going on? And I, I was thinking about that, that interaction this week as I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount. And how we can kind of, in the beginning, just kind of be nodding along like, yeah, the Beatitudes is what we just read. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm in on this. Then we just start talking about like salt and light and the nod might, might slow down a little bit when we get to things like anger or Jesus is teaching on sexual desire or marriage or keeping our word or revenge. And then we get to things like loving our enemies and narrow roads and not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And then the nodding slows down. And so my question I want us to sit with this morning as we begin our journey through the Sermon on the Mount is how long will it take for you to stop nodding? Because, my friends, we stand at the precipice of the Sermon on the Mount. Arguably the greatest collections of teachings on how to actually live in the reality of God's kingdom that's arrived in Jesus. John Stott says this about the Sermon on the Mount. It's been ringing through my ears this whole week. It is probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus, though argu arguably it is the least understood and certainly it is the least obeyed. So our desire 
as there's going to be a few of us teaching through this series, is that we begin to correct those last two statements. We want to understand what Jesus is talking about, and we want to learn how to obey what Jesus is asking us to do. And this is going to require a lot of effort and work and rethinking and relearning and humility and God's help by the Spirit. All this stuff is going to happen if we would lean into it, if we would begin to see Jesus as he really is. So for many of us who have grown up in or around the church, the danger is yet again familiarity. We've heard these words before, but how can we hear them again as if for the first time? Hear them with soft and open hearts. And at our community group this week, we were discussing this very thing. How do we not treat these incredibly direct and challenging words as they should be treated? How do we not just take them as like, ah, whatever, they're just kind of trite and cute, and maybe you could put them on some type of mug? But how do we allow them to get into our business, all up in our business, into our bones and into our everyday, ordinary lives? Or put another way, how do we keep nodding along? So I would suggest to you that how we see Jesus, how we see Jesus of Nazareth, has everything to do with this question. So that's where we're going to start this morning. Jesus, my friends, was brilliant. He was the most brilliant man who has ever lived. His wisdom, his vision, and his way of being human in the world is unlike anything you will ever come across. Jesus, the God-man, what he does is he comes to you and me in our delusion, our confusion, our frustration, our despair, our discouragement, our failure, our hubris, our hopelessness, our upside-down and flipped-around state, and he offers to us a new heart and to teach us how to live with that new heart. He comes alongside, tapping us on the shoulder and inviting us to come into the with God life. Come live with me in my kingdom, where what God wants done is done. Come and taste. Come and see. Jesus, the greatest human to ever walk this green earth, is offering to teach us how to be human. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, comes to us as a rabbi. He comes to us as a teacher. So just a question for you to sit with for a second. Who in your world would you love to spend an hour with? Like, who, who would you love to just sit down and have a meal with, a coffee with, pick their brain? Klaus Decker? Nice. My wife. You don't have to answer. I mean, you want to get some points with your wife and say your wife, I guess, but. Um, so last fall, do you say what if it's true, Jess? Oh, sorry, I wasn't trying to be diminishing. Anyways, love you. It was cute. So last fall, Jess and I went on that retreat to Colorado, and uh, I got to spend an hour with one of, one of these guys I really, really look up to. I read everything he's written. I listen to a bunch of his stuff. I've admired this guy from afar for a long time over the last decade. A few of us guys are reading a book he wrote. Uh, this guy is named John Tyson. So he's a brilliant teacher, a godly father, a brave church planner, faithful husband, inspiring leader. He's a good dude. And I had read all of his books, I've listened to his teachings, like I said. I, I read the people he read. You know, I was really into this, this guy's teaching. And I knew he was going to be in Colorado with us, but I didn't realize that I was going to get to hang out with him, which is incredible. So this is way beyond my expectations of what our week would look like. But he humbly opened himself up to make time to connect with us. And so I went over and said, hey, man, I would love to connect with you if that would work. And he said, let's meet up tomorrow. And let me tell you, I did not sleep the night before. I was like, what am I going to ask him? I only have an hour. I need to learn how to be a better dad and all these things. And I'm, I didn't sleep at all. Um, and then what was he going to ask me? Like, am I going to look like an idiot? Like all, that, all those kind of thoughts are going on. You, you get the picture? Yeah. 
So, but I can honestly say in that one hour conversation with John Tyson, the trajectory of my life actually changed. So I learned, I learned so much just, just from sitting with this guy and, and not even just what he said, how he said it, who he was, how he carried himself was so impactful. He was showing me like on his phone, his daily routine, what he did, what weight he wanted to get to, all this stuff, opening up his life to me. And he was giving me parenting advice and how I needed to give Jess more time on her own. And I was like trying to take notes and like pay attention to everything he was saying. But then I realized afterwards, like the things that he said just stuck with me. I didn't write down everything, but, but what he was saying, he was teaching something in such a way that my life actually changed. And how Jesus teaches us is similar to this. So in a, in a much greater and more profound way, this is what Jesus is offering to us over the course of a lifetime, my, my friends. He wants to teach us how to be human. He is inviting us to come learn from him. Come be my students, my apprentices in the art of being human. And how Jesus teaches us is how I want to teach. He teaches to change people's lives. It's not just so much that our notebooks are filled up with sermon notes. It's so that our lives can actually be tra transformed and changed. His desire is not to cover the syllabus and file away notes in a color-coordinated Christian-themed five-subject binder. He wants to change your life. He wants to change how you live. He wants to change how you think. He wants to change how you see. He wants to change how you do everything. This is Jesus. So Jesus' teaching is meant to find its way into the concrete details of your everyday ordinary lives. You sense a theme over the last few weeks, guys. Ordinary life is where this is lived out. He is the most creative and capable teacher that has ever lived. And what we see and understand is that his teachings were tethered to concrete events that happened in the average hearer's everyday ordinary lives. And how he's teaching. Think about parables. He's speaking into literal situations that are happening in real time, specific cases and occasions. And he aims his teaching and his sayings at our hearts and at our habits as they are normal lives. So the teachings of Jesus are never meant to just stop at action, though. His teachings always go beyond just mere laws. They are about whole life transformation. When Jesus taught people, people remembered what Jesus said, and it changed their lives. So if we think about this, the Sermon on the Mount, this teacher comes to these people. Who is it that he's actually teaching? Who are the people who are hearing Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount? Let's look back. If you guys have your Bible... Matthew chapter 4. We'll read a few verses from the end of chapter 4. Verse 23. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. So it is to this large crowd of, forgive this term, but I think it sums it up, of beautiful losers. Fishermen, people whose bodies were up until very recently not working very well. The demon-possessed, the paralyzed, the down and outs. His followers, his disciples that Jesus first chooses to reveal how to live life in the kingdom of God. This is an unlikely choice, to say the least. A surprising decision. So let's continue. Let's read together in verses 1 and 2. So Jesus is a teacher, and he's speaking to this crowd of beautiful losers. 
So verse 1 of chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the hillside and sat down. He took a deep breath and began his teaching. Let's do a few thoughts. He went up the mountain. Could Matthew be presenting Jesus as the new Moses, coming down to give a new law? Shout out to Exodus. Remember, guys? A new way to exist in the world as the people of God, where we're partnering again with God to spread blessing to all the nations. Matthew goes on. Jesus sat down. And this is significant as Jesus assumes the posture of a teacher or a rabbi. Typically, the Torah was read while standing, and once the text was finished, the teacher would sit down and begin to unpack or explain his teaching from the text. How Jesus teaches assumes a familiar posture, but we see something different. We see the authority and wisdom with which Jesus taught was unlike anything the disciples or the crowds had ever seen before. He speaks as the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the prophets, and the fulfillment of the wisdom of God. Our New Testament scholar Scott McKnight puts it this way, He spoke with an ethic from above, as the voice of God himself. He spoke as an ethic from beyond, bringing to bear the prophetic future of the new creation into the present day, and an ethic from below, which is rooted and grounded in the wisdom of God. This is our teacher. If he is the teacher, then that makes us his students. We are his students. And we will do well, my friends, as we journey through this teaching, if we learn to take the posture of a student and not one of a teacher. One who is willing to learn with humility and an open mind and a willingness and a recognition that we may very well be wrong about how the world actually works. Forget John Tyson. Jesus of Nazareth wants to take some time and teach you about life. He took a deep breath and he began his teaching. I just want to pray for us and then we'll begin to un unpack what this looks like for us. Would you guys pray with me? Yeah. Lord, we, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we come before you not having earned your attention, but you freely give it to us, Lord. You, you spot us in the crowd and you call us closer. And so, Jesus, this morning, I ask that we would hear you. We would hear your words afresh. Those of us who have grown up around the church and have heard maybe teachings on this out, you know, for decades, would it land in a different way this morning? For those of us who have never heard anything about Jesus before, would this be good news and, and reveal who you really are and what your kingdom is really like to all of us, Lord, this morning? So come. Equip me, enable me to speak your heart, Lord, this morning um, with conviction and with grace. And will we leave here transformed? Come, Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So to summarize, guys, the question we're going to be looking at in the Beatitudes is this. The question that is set before us this morning by Jesus, again, the most brilliant man to ever live, the Son of God, the King of Kings, Israel's Messiah, is this question, who is really blessed? Who is really blessed? The Greek word here for blessed is makarios, which means happy or fortunate or blessed. It refers to the highest type of well-being possible for human beings. The highest type of well-being possible for human beings. But it is also the term the Greeks used for the kind of blissful existence characteristic of the gods. So I want us to use our imaginations this morning, okay? As we think about 
this text, as we head into the Sermon on the Mount, I want us to use our imaginations as we go into this. So Jesus is sitting down in the midst of a bunch of beautiful losers. Those recently set free and healed, those recently delivered from demons, fishermen, blue-collar, unimpressive, real people, hungry people, people who are there to learn from the one who brought the heavens to bear in their very concrete and ordinary lives. Remember, Jesus just recently healed a bunch of these people, set them free from demons, called them from their jobs as fishermen to come follow him. These are the people Jesus is speaking to. So picture him there and picture these people around him. And as he is there, picture Jesus, like, as as you're beginning to see it, as we read through these words again, picture Jesus literally, like, pointing to the crowd in almost like a show-and-tell way. This guy and this woman, they are blessed. These are people, these are proof of the availability of the kingdom of God to all people. So with your eyes closed and your imaginations engaged, I want to read the Beatitudes again. And I've added in um, the summary statements that that Dallas Willard adds as he kind of brilliantly um, gives some language to, to what Jesus is saying. So eyes closed, imaginations engaged, I hope. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, the weeping ones, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the shy ones, the intimidated, the mild, the unassertive, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who burn with desire for things to be made right in themselves and in others, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, those who are taken advantage of, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, those for whom nothing is good enough, not even themselves, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, the ones in the middle where neither side trusts you, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, those who stand up for what is right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Things like they've gone off their rocker and they've taken up with that Jesus. They've lost it. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What Jesus is doing, guys, is he's inviting us to take the first major step into understanding and living in the kingdom of God by sharing his vision of people. So what is Jesus trying to teach us? What do we need to learn? And I want to attempt to tie that to the question we asked earlier. Who has the good life according to Jesus? If I were to ask you to give me a list of descriptive words for a hashtag blessed life, what would come to mind? 
I'd imagine things like wealth and health and beauty and education, connections, ease, uh, being well-respected and liked, put together. These are things that often help you experience a world that many will never enjoy. I mean, there is a whole industry on social media with people called influencer, influencers, for goodness sake, who are doing their best to point you to the version of the hashtag blessed life. But to be clear, none of the above qualities are inherently evil or to be rejected. But so often we think these are the only things that are going to help us arrive at the life we really want. The good life is only available to the beautiful, the wealthy, the put together, the educated, the connected. But how do the Beatitudes speak to this question? Are they a list of qualities that I should aspire to so that I'll, that I'll enjoy the blessing of the kingdom life? Is it bad that some of us are wealthy or connected or go on holidays during the winter? No. And this is the deepest mistake we can make when it comes to the Beatitudes. When we read them as if Jesus is citing a condition which is the basis of blessing. I.e., I have to be mourning. I have to be meek. I have to be poor in spirit. And when we do this, the danger is that we just make a, a list of how-tos, and before we know it, we've entered legalism yet again. Dallas Willard again. No one is actually being told that they are better off for being poor, for mourning, for being persecuted, and so on. Or that the conditions listed are recommended ways of, to well-being before God or man. Nor are the Beatitudes indications of who will be on top. They are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. Remember, go back to that picture, Jesus pointing to people in the crowd. Remember when I put my hands on you and prayed for you and you're delivered? I did that. Relationship with me is what brought you in. They, they single out cases that provide proof that in him, the rule of God from the heavens truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond all human hope. The story that comes to mind here is the story of the thief on the cross in Luke 23. Um, I'm just going to read this quickly. One of the criminals beside Jesus on the cross scoffs and says this, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you are being sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief isn't blessed here because he is a thief. But what we see is that the kingdom is available to him through Jesus. The present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship with Jesus. It's as if he's saying, you're with me and I'm with you. Even though sometimes your life circumstances don't seem to reflect the blessed life, your heart is what I'm after. Your heart is what matters most. How's everyone doing? Okay. So let's apply this thinking to the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why are they blessed? Because they're poor? Because they believe in Jesus. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's why they're blessed. To be clear, that doesn't mean that everyone who is poor in spirit has the kingdom. They're blessed because they have the kingdom despite their condition. Does that make sense? So being poor or mourning or persecuted, those things don't keep you from being blessed is what Jesus is saying. So the Beatitudes are about the availability of the kingdom of God to the humanly hopeless, to the beautiful losers, 
to the ones who the world cast down and aside, to the ones considered lost causes. I'm going to read that again. The Beatitudes are about the availability of the kingdom of God to the humanly hopeless, to the beautiful losers, to the ones the world cast down and aside, to the ones considered lost causes. Can you just see Jesus pointing and putting his hands on the crowds around him, looking them in the eye? That means you and you and you and you and you and you. You are welcome to come live under the rule and reign of God. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. What he's saying is that no one, no matter how far down on the human scale, that cannot be blessed. There's no one. All it takes is faith in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way back to the kingdom of God. For the rich, the poor, the middle class, the skinny, the fat, you could go on and on. It's Jesus. So if Jesus is trying to share his vision for people, how do we begin to see people, especially the beautiful losers in our lives, the way that Jesus does? I would suggest that it starts with how we see, how we see ourselves, simply because we cannot give what we do not have. Let me get really personal here, okay? I'm going bald, okay? I'm going bald, my friends. It's true. I've managed to stave it off for longer than most of my beloved brothers, but alas, Fate has come for my hair, or at least decided to relocate it to other various places in my body other than my head. Now, the world around us has grown a little bit more charitable towards bald people, but nonetheless... (laughs) Solidarity, bro. But nonetheless, the world would mostly agree that having hair like Thomas Holloma is a blessed existence. So I have to hear the good news from Jesus that blessed are the bald, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Okay, this is a silly illustration, but I think it makes the point. I am not blessed because of my condition, but in spite of it. The kingdom is available even to balding middle-aged fathers of four who live in rural Ontario. So in review, I am not blessed because I am bald. I am blessed for I have the kingdom of God. My baldness, my impending baldness, is a part of me that I fight to reject or condemn. Just being straight up. And there are other way more personal and intimate parts of myself that I'm not going to sit up here and share that require even more trust in Jesus' announcement that the kingdom of God is open to all through faith in him. But until I understand this reality in my own life, I will never be able to preach the good news of the kingdom to other people. So what parts of you and your story need to hear Jesus' words of blessed, blessed, blessed? This reminds me of Jesus' first sermon back in his boyhood home of Nazareth, recorded in Luke chapter 4. So Jesus' fame is beginning to spread throughout the region. And so I imagine that he's speaking to this packed synagogue of people, a bunch of people he grew up with probably. And let's pick up, if you guys have your Bibles, flip over to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4 verse 18, he's quoting from the scroll of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Sounds familiar, eh? 
He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've heard, sorry, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? I love the other translations say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, the prophet is accepted in it, sorry, no prophet is accepted in his, in his own hometown. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the, of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. It gets really interesting as you can almost see the crowd nodding along until Jesus begins to explain that the kingdom of God, the blessing of God is extended to who? The Gentiles? To the others? At which point you can, the room, you can just sense it. The oxygen goes out of the room. No one's nodding anymore. And they get violent and they think, you know what, let's, let's kill this dude. I cannot even imagine what was going through their minds. It was unthinkable for many Jews at this point that the Gentiles could be blessed. So I want to ask you a question. Who in your world would elicit a similar reaction? When does your head stop nodding along? Them? Who are those who are considered the most hopeless in human terms? And the Beatitudes remind us that even for them, the kingdom is available through faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Corinthians. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to this. Some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Yeah, me too. We're one of them, Roger. Who, who would do well, or sorry, we would do well to remember that Jesus extended grace to us. That we needed cleansing. That we needed to be made holy. And that it's only through faith and through crying out to Jesus, come help me, Lord that we're brought home to the Father. And that in that, he is committed to making you and me whole by the power of the Spirit over the long haul of a lifetime of loving friendship and relationship with God and his family. Blessed are the fill in the blank, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
Jesus is pointing to each of us this morning, my friends. And the really good news for us is that his head will never stop nodding. Regardless of the circumstances, his head will never stop nodding. So as we close, just a summary statement. Who is well off? Who is blessed? Anyone who lives in the kingdom of God. Let me read you one more translation of the Beatitudes and then we'll do communion. So again, let's just enter a posture of just receiving from God. May God's spirit just reveal what needs to be revealed to us. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual. For the kingdom of heaven is well suited for ordinary people. Blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve. For they create space to encounter comfort, comfort from another. Blessed are the gentle and trusting who are not grasping and clutching. For God will personally guarantee their share when heaven comes to earth. Blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. Blessed are those who give mercy for they will get it back when they need it most. Blessed are those who have a clean window in their soul for they will perceive God when and where others don't. Blessed are the bridge builders in a war-torn world, for they are God's children working in the family business. Blessed are those who are mocked and misunderstood for the right reasons, for the kingdom of heaven comes to earth amid such persecution. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you show us this morning that your head is nodding towards us? And from that place where we go out into the world and speak blessed to those around us. Nodding along, inviting them further up and further into your kingdom, Lord. We thank you that you are a good teacher. Continue to help us learn how to become human and how to live life in your kingdom, Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.